Well, it's good to be with you this morning. If you've uh, enjoyed the Christmas break as much as I have, you have uh, been feeling pretty rested and uh, pretty eager to kind of move on uh, with the new year, which we'll be doing this week. And so in, in kind of that mood, uh, we're going to be looking at a sermon this morning that I've entitled Putting Sloth to Death. Putting Sloth to Death. How's that for a last uh, sermon title for this year? For those of you who are feeling kind of lazy, you've been sleeping in every morning, this message is for you. So, no, we know there's a time for rest and relaxation. There's a time for rejuvenation. But uh, there's a time also for us to consider what the Bible has to say about slothfulness. And so we'll be looking at some selected scriptures this morning. If you want to turn to one main text, well, we'll begin. It'll be in Proverbs chapter 6. So if you want to turn there, feel free. Proverbs chapter 6, that'll be our first main text that we'll cover. But we're going to kind of jump around and look at some different, uh, different passages of Scripture from both the Old and the New Testament, mainly from Proverbs, though. And it will be talking to us about what it means to put sloth to death. And so hopefully this will be a timely message of encouragement and of reminder. And by way of once we step into the new year, that we're ready to work hard and to worship much because we have a God who's worthy to be praised. And so I'm just going to pray for us, and then we'll jump into our time together this morning. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for the beauty of coming together to worship you as our great God and our great King. Thank you for the music that's been played, the voices that have sung out, the hearts that are being encouraged. And we pray, God, as we venture into this title this morning of the message, Putting Sloth to Death, Considering What It Means to Be Lazy or to Be a Sluggard, I pray, God, that we would take seriously what your word has to say in a way that would really encourage us and challenge us of all ages this morning and in all, all walks of life today, that we come to you, God. We come to your word, and we want to learn what it means for us to understand how to work hard in your strength and for your glory. And so we pray, God, that you would be exalted today through the preaching of the word, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, people have long admired the diligent work of the beaver. Undaunted by long work hours and frequent crises, the beaver maintains its dam and cares for its family with both purpose and passion. For safety, beavers build their dams so that their homes can be in the middle of lakes far away from dangerous predators. And when it rains and floodwaters threaten to destroy their dams, they instinctively work tirelessly without interruption in order to repair their dams and to save their homes. While beavers typically work in the safety of night and they rest during the day, they will not rest when a storm comes and if their homes and their safety is being threatened. During times of crisis, beavers will rearrange branches in their dams patch holes with mud scooped up from the bottom of the lake, and even chop down additional trees from the shore in order to reinforce a dam weakened by the storm. As long as there is work to do, beavers keep working diligently until the job is done. Surprisingly enough, this four-footed, furry animal with a flat tail and a funny face outworks many humans in America today. Our nation has a present unemployment rate of 3.7%, which actually isn't too bad, especially if you compare it to Afghanistan's unemployment rate of 24%. Nevertheless, there are thousands upon thousands of people in America 
participating in welfare programs and even drawing uh, disability. Now listen closely to what I'm saying. Not every unemployed, welfare-receiving, disabled person is slothful. In fact, many of them are intelligent, hardworking people with resolve and ingenuity who have fallen simply on tough times. But let's also face the truth. There are many who are taking advantage of others, and there's the temptation to become lazy, sluggish, and apathetic. But on this morning of this last Sunday of the year, I don't want to address society in general. I want to address this church specifically. You see, it's easy for us to point fingers at others who we feel like are clearly a burden on society. But have you ever stopped to think about the fact that you may be a burden to the church of Jesus Christ who gave his life so that we would have no spot or wrinkle or any such thing? but that we would be holy and blameless. Is it possible that you have become slothful in your walk with Christ and in your work for his glory? Is it possible that others have had to pick up the slack where you have been lacking and where you have been lazy? I'm not just talking about here at this church, but in this world where we're all called to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you work energetically at your job? Do you see others working hard and do you join them in that force as being diligent and reliable and being faithful? Do you live out the life of Christ where you work and where you live? If you don't, then you may be committing the sin of slothfulness. Have you ever heard of the seven deadly sins the Roman Catholic Church has a list of seven deadly sins, and guess what the last sin on that list is? You guessed it, it's the sin of slothfulness. The list includes pride, envy, lust, gluttony, anger, greed, and sloth. And this list of seven deadly sins did not originate, mind you, from the Bible, but rather from the Roman Catholic Church. And according to Roman Catholic doctrine, other sins are categorized as minor or venial, but these seven sins are taught to be capital offenses or mortal sins which place the sinner in danger of eternal damnation unless they're absolved through the Roman Catholic sacrament of confession to a priest or forgiven through the perfect contrition on the part of the penitent. This is contrary to the doctrine of the Bible, however, which does not teach two categories of sin, venial or mortal, or we might say minor or major, but rather the scriptures teach that all sin, no matter how small or how great that sin may be in your eyes, is worthy of death and makes us deserving of hell and eternal separation from God. And only through the confession of one's sins and genuine repentance granted by the sovereign grace of God, which is based solely on the sacrifice of the perfect lamb, Jesus Christ, can one be forgiven, not through keeping the sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church. And so we can thank God this morning that if you are a believer today, if you are in Christ today, you've been pulled out of the kingdom of darkness and you've been placed into the kingdom of light and you've been called to be a worker and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ who bore our sins in his body on the tree 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we have been healed. For we were straying like sheep, but now we returned, First Peter 2 says, to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. And so I wanted to teach you what the Bible says about sloth this morning, not because it is any more deadly than any other sin, but because it covers an important area of your life and possible struggle that I want to address today and give you instruction and give you hope in overcoming. And so this morning, we're looking at putting sloth to death. The very word sloth even describes this sedentary, sluggish feeling. When you just say the word sloth, it just kind of makes you want to lay down and take a nap. I'm already feeling tired. The word slothful is used by the King James Version, whereas the ESV The NASB, the New King James Version, and the NIV tend to use words such as sluggard or lazy to communicate the Hebrew word sloth, which literally means to be sluggish or lazy or showing a lack of diligence. This root word, sloth, in the Hebrew is found in Hebrew and in the New Testament, it's found 18 times in the Bible, and on every occurrence, It describes someone being in sin by being sluggish or slothful. The Bible is clear. To be slothful is to be sinful. And so this morning as we look at this, I've divided our message into three headings, seven characteristics of slothfulness, seven consequences of slothfulness, and then seven cures for slothfulness. You'll see them all listed there in your outline if you are taking notes this morning. That first heading again, seven characteristics of slothfulness. The first characteristic would be this, your first blank, if you want to fill it in this morning. A slothful person is a time waster. A slothful person is a time waster. Here we are already, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Here's what we read. Go to the ant, O sluggard, Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard, when you arise from your sleep? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now, you're familiar maybe with that proverb. There's so many rich things just in those few verses there of Proverbs chapter 6. Basically, he's saying, go to the ant, right? There's a lot that you can learn from an ant. Nobody has to tell an ant what to do. The ant doesn't need a a hard-driving boss or a diligent parent. An ant just works hard because that's what God created them to do. It's in their nature. Ants work really hard. And so the next time you think about squashing an ant, how about just getting down on your hands and your knees and just watch how busy that ant is looking for food and searching for food and marching back and forth. And maybe you should even ask God, what do you want to teach me today, Lord? By just looking at this ant, how faithful these little creatures are. And sometimes we are just the opposite, right? We put off our work We need somebody to kind of drive us, to keep us going. We need a a boss or a parent or something else. And sometimes we get a little bit lazy and we put off our work and we put off our chores and we put off our quiet time. 
And before you know it, the day is gone. And maybe for you, that's just kind of surfing the internet or watching TV mindlessly or text messaging with no end in sight or just doing whatever it is you do on social media. We have to be careful. All those can be great tools used in business and in family relations, but we need to be careful that we're not being time wasters. Instead, the Bible would encourage us this morning to be time redeemers. We want to be time redeemers. That's Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Look carefully then in how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. A slothful person is a time waster. Let's look at a a second characteristic of a slothful person. Number two, undependable undependable. Flip over to Proverbs chapter 10. You're already there in chapter 6. Look at Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 26. This proverb says, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. This is saying just as vinegar is sour tasting and kind of makes that tingling sensation on your teeth and just as smoke is irritating to your eyes, so does an employer feel about an undependable person when they don't work like they should. When you don't show up at work or when you do show up at work but you're not getting your job done very well, if you're being lazy and lethargic at work, then you are as irritating as vinegar is to the teeth or as smoke is to the eyes. Being undependable is simply being selfish and it's being prideful and it's caring for your own interest and not the interest of others. When you are being undependable, not showing up and doing what it is that you've been called to do, you're being like vinegar to the teeth and like smoke to the eyes. A third characteristic of a slothful person is this. A slothful person is lazy. A slothful person is lazy. Look at Proverbs 19, 24, and then we'll also look at Proverbs chapter 26. And so Proverbs 19, 24 says, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Proverbs 26, 14 and 15 says something similar. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on its bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Now, maybe as a parent, you remember that time when your toddler possibly had a chip or a cracker or something in their hands, and they're kind of eating and snacking, and before you know it, your little one fell asleep. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's kind of a funny sight to see a kid, you know, with some spoon in their hand or some piece of food in their hand. And whenever I've seen that before, it's kind of reminded me of this proverb. Like, wow, how could you be so lazy that you've actually got food in your hand that you're trying to eat? And then that very moment you fall asleep. Or how could you be so lazy that just as a door turns on its hinges, do you know how easy a door turns on its hinges? Like really easy. Like you just kind of push the door and it turns back and forth on the hinge all day long. And it's saying that's what a lazy person is like in bed, just kind of turning back and forth in their bed all day long. This is a lazy person. This is a person who says, I just don't have enough strength to put this food in my mouth. I I don't even have enough strength to get out of bed. I just have enough strength to turn back and forth in bed. That's all the strength I have. This is like a lazy person who would say, I know that The clothes have all been washed, but I'm just too lazy to put them away. 
A lazy person like this would say, I know the car is ready to be picked up from the mechanic, but I just can't get to the shop. A lazy person like this would say, I know I get paid on Friday, but I don't believe I have enough energy to go pick up my check. Right? A lazy person like this would say, the groceries are all in the trunk, but I just don't feel like getting them out and putting them away right now. Right? A lazy person would be a person who just says, you know what, I'm hungry for God, but I don't have enough energy or enough time to read my Bible or to pray or to come to church. I mean, I love God, don't get me wrong, but I just don't have enough time or effort to do spiritual disciplines because, you know what, I'm just too tired. Now, again, we all realize there's a place for rest and a place for relaxation, and there is a time for sleep. But what I'm talking about this morning is the slothful person that the Bible describes as just plain out being lazy. And we're trying to understand that the Proverbs teaches us that this person described by these verses is someone who is in deep sin. This is not allowable in the life of a Christian. This is not just somebody who's just taking a little break during their day. This is somebody who is filled with slothfulness. Number four, fourth characteristic of a slothful person is he's one who procrastinates. One who procrastinates. Look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. Again, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and will have nothing. You may know if you work on a farm that you've got to plow and plant in order to have a harvest, right? The rainy season here, uh, we understand in, in Israel would happen in the late fall or in the winter. That was also the time when plowing and planting of wheat, one of the main crops that's mentioned in the Bible, would take place. But the sluggard would make no effort, but instead make every excuse not to plow in the late autumn or the early winter, and therefore this sluggard would have nothing to harvest in the summer. This is somebody who's saying, hey, I don't have enough time to do the work to put into this, and therefore there's no harvest for me to have when the summer rolls around. He puts off things like signing up for camp or getting that project done at work or renewing your license or doing your homework or cleaning your room or going to the dentist. I guess that one's okay, all right? If you're struggling with that, that's all right. But, you know, the idea is that sometimes we get so lazy that we procrastinate everything in life. And if that becomes a, 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 a characteristic of who you are, you know, more importantly, if you're procrastinating by putting off things like family devotions or disciplining the children or going on a date night with your spouse or confessing sin that you know is beginning to infiltrate in your life, then you're just putting everything off. And that's no different than being like this sluggard who's not plowing at the appropriate time so that you can also reap a harvest. Number five, a slothful person makes excuses. A slothful person makes excuses. Look at Proverbs 22 and Proverbs 26, those cross-references listed for you there in your notes. Proverbs 22, 13 the sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. You know what he's saying here? A sluggard is somebody who's kind of making some ridiculous comment. 
I mean, the likelihood of there being a literal lion outside in the streets of Jerusalem that would consume someone walking by is far-fetched. And so what's going on here is that the sluggard, the lazy person, the sloth, is just making an excuse of why I can't get out and do whatever it is I need to be doing because there's some lion out there that might consume me. This is no different than saying, you know, I don't think I can go to church today because I might get hit by a car. Or I can't go to work today because there may be rain or a fire. I'll do my homework in a minute, but right now I have to finish this next level in my video game. Right? I can't go on that mission trip because the plane might crash. I mean, some of those could be legitimate concerns, but none of them should overpower your ability to serve your family and to serve your God. You don't want to get caught into thinking, well, there's a lion outside. I can't go to small group. I don't even know where they meet or when they meet. I don't even know why they meet. I don't know why this church has small group. That's, that's being lazy. Right? We're encouraging you to be involved in loving one another and serving one another, that you want to reach out to people who are hurting. But right now, maybe you've got other things that you need to do first. If you keep putting off thing after thing after thing, it could be that you're making excuses. Listen, there's times when you need to miss small group. You might be in a season where you don't come to small group. There may be a Sunday that you need to stay at home with the family. I, I get it. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on everybody who ever skips Sunday or small group. I'm just trying to say that be careful in your heart and in your life that you're not falling into someone who's making excuses for not being a more ready part of what God's doing in the world and through your local church. And so uh, another characteristic of a slothful person F here would be being neglectful. A slothful person is neglectful. Look at Proverbs 24, 30 through 31. Proverbs 24, starting in verse 30, says, I pass by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and the stone wall was broken down. Here, we see that the sloth is described as somebody who's neglected the upkeep of their home, or of the field, or of the wall that's there around their house or their field. A slothful person purposefully neglects things that they should be taking care of. And maybe you're thinking about all the things that you're neglecting around your house or your yard. But more importantly, even, I would ask, are you neglecting your family? Or are you neglecting your duties at work? Or are you neglecting the cultivation of discipleship relationships with other Christians that will encourage you in your daily walk with the Lord? Don't be somebody who is constantly making excuses. Don't be someone who's neglecting the most important things that you need to be paying attention to in your life. Or you could be like this sloth who's letting the weeds overgrow your marriage. Or the weeds overgrow your spiritual vitality and your life. Number seven, a slothful person is delusional. A slothful person is delusional. Look at Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. What are we learning here? A sluggard... A slothful person is someone who in their own eyes 
thinks that they're wiser than everybody else. They don't want to do any research. They don't want to do any study. They don't want to seek any counsel, as the Bible says that there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. The sluggard is saying, look, I'm wiser than even if I went to seven wise men who could give me wisdom and discernment using the Bible as their basis. I'm going to say I'm wiser than all of them. Well, that's being foolish. And not only is that being foolish, you're being accused by Proverbs 26, 16 of being a sluggard because you're just simply not willing to get the counsel, to study the scripture, to get a biblical reference on whatever it is that you're trying to decide or do with your life. This happens especially when someone says, well, I don't really care what my parents think. Or this happens when people say, I don't really care what the elders at my church think. Or even worse, I don't care what the Bible says. This is what I'm going to do in this given situation. The Bible says, well, that's being slothful. You should care. You should seek counsel, heed counsel. Uh, We always love it as an elder team when a family comes to us and just says, hey, we're going through a major decision in our life. We're considering a job change, or we're considering a a house change, or relocating to a different part of the country. From time to time, we'll have a family who will just come and just say, hey, we're just seeking your wisdom. What do you guys think about that? And we always tell them, well, no, you can't move. You have to stay right here with us. We love you too much. No, I'm just kidding. You know, we always just really appreciate the fact that it's wise to get counsel, and that takes work sometimes, and sometimes you might not like what you hear. But if you're not seeking any counsel, and if you're just assuming that you're wiser than everyone else, it could be that you're being a sluggard because you're not really seeking the counsel of someone else. Being slothful, like all of these seven characteristics that we've just been through, does not happen by accident. But it is a choice that you make, and the choice of being slothful will result in certain consequences. And so let's transition to that part of our sermon if we can. Now that we've seen seven characteristics of slothfulness, I want to give you seven consequences of slothfulness. Seven consequences of slothfulness. The first one is shame. Shame. Turn to Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 5. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 5 says, He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. So here we see in this proverb that what is sown in the fall and the winter is supposed to be harvested in the summer. But as we've already mentioned, if there's nothing sown, then there's nothing that can be reaped. And so if there's nothing that you can reap, then you're not going to be considered a wise son or a prudent son. But if you're not able to reap anything because you're sleeping, let's say even if somehow the plowing was done and now it's harvest time and you have the opportunity to now go out and harvest the fruit of the labor of yourself or someone else, but you're just going to sleep during the harvest, and the Bible says, then that brings shame upon yourself, right? There's work to be done, but you are asleep. The prudent son is out working in the field, and he's gathering the harvest, but the slothful son is fast asleep. Do you think this will make those around you proud of you or shameful of you? You bring shame and reproach upon yourself and your family and your church and upon the Lord, when you're sleeping during the harvest. That's a good kind of shame that the Bible talks about is something that ought to change us and challenge us and something that we can see and experience that would hopefully bring us into a better place of work ethic. Well, another consequence of being a sloth is hunger. 
Your next word there is the word hunger. Look at Proverbs 13, and again in Proverbs 19, the Proverbs 13, 4 passage says, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Look at Proverbs 19, 15, slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Now, to both of those passages, we just basically talk about if you're a sluggard or if you're acting in a slothful way, you will suffer hunger. A sluggard will go hungry. They crave, but they will not do the work it takes to reap a harvest. It is the idle man who will suffer from being hungry. Not only this, but it says your soul. Notice in Proverbs 13, 14, again, it talks about how uh, that it's your soul that is craving and getting nothing. This word soul is a reference to the inner man. A sluggard craves, but is never satisfied. They never get enough sleep. They never have enough slumber. They can never be too lazy. All along, they think they're being satisfied, but like any sin, slothfulness never satisfies. No amount of rest will eventually satisfy your soul. No amount of slothfulness will finally make you feel energetic. So we're talking here about a clear sin issue. A third consequence of slothfulness is poverty. Poverty, Proverbs chapter 10 and Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs 10.4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 20, 13, love not sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. So these two verses are saying it's a slack hand, it's a lazy person, it's a sluggard who falls into poverty. The, the hard worker, the diligent, the disciplined person will have plenty. The idea that both of these verses teach is that being poor is not typically a result of circumstance, but a lack of hard work. I mean, again, we understand people fall on hard times, and they can lose their job, and I have no problem with somebody going on welfare if there's a need to feed themselves or their family. I'm talking about the abuse of systems like that, when somebody continues to make the choice not to work, and they continue to make the choice not to be diligent. And if that person continues to face hunger, it, in many respects, it's their own fault. I mean, in, in, in most places in America today, you can find some type of work, even if it's minimum wage, that you work faithfully and hard work, even minimum wage in our country would meet your basic needs. I mean, yes, money would be very tight, but you would literally be able to have clothes on your back and some ability to purchase food and find some type of housing in some type of scenario, even off of minimum wage. And so the idea that we're saying here is that poverty isn't so much something that just happens to you by accident. It's a choice that's being made. And it is a, in these passages, it's just telling us it's because we're being plain out lazy. Number four, a slothful person has difficulty. A slothful person has difficulty. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 19. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. 
And so as so often in the Proverbs, he's comparing this way versus that way. And he's saying, hey, a sluggard, it's like everywhere they go, they're surrounded by a hedge of thorns. But the path of the upright is a level highway. For the sluggard, everything they try to do will be difficult. Maybe they don't have enough money to pay for their apartment or their house, or they don't have enough savings for emergencies because they are deep into consumer credit card debt. Maybe they don't have the education or the training they need for a better job. Maybe they don't have any good references for the school you're trying to get into or you're trying to get into that new job. And maybe the problem is, is because everywhere you look and every time you try to get out of the situation, it gets worse because you've laid in your bed so long that you don't have anything uh, there worthy of pursuing. And so it can be hard to get somebody into an, a, a good situation. And sure, as Christians, we should come along somebody, somebody like that and just say, hey, we're here to help you. We want to help you get a job and we want to teach you to fish. You know, it's that whole thing about you don't just give somebody a fish and they eat a meal, but you teach them to fish so that they can feed themselves for a lifetime. But the idea here is certainly there's difficulty on every direction when somebody has been sluggish. A fifth consequence of slothfulness is slavery. Slavery, Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 24. The hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will be forced, will be put to forced labor. Again, you may get so lazy and in over your head that you will be put to forced labor. Maybe you become a slave to your creditor or to your landlord, while a diligent person will likely be a trusted leader, a man or a woman worth following, a person with a lot of responsibility. But a slothful person will often be at the very bottom, and they'll be forced to work just to survive. They could feel oftentimes, again, like they're a slave to the system. And the Bible is saying maybe they're that way because they've been slothful. F, your number six um, consequence of a slothful person that they face is death. Just when you think it wasn't bad enough. And what we're reading, Proverbs 21, 25, chapter 21, verse 25 says, The desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. Eventually, all of this laziness leads to death. An addiction to laziness can lead to your demise, your downfall, and your eventual death. Because of the lack of labor and the lack of harvest and the lack of food, the sluggard starves and dies. The sluggard has no reason to live. The sluggard has a very unhealthy and undisciplined diet. The sluggard may have no food at all. And it's his own fault, for he refuses to work. The last consequence of a sluggard is this. It's hell. Sluggards go to hell. You think I'm kidding about it? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Someone is characterized by this unrepentant sin, and they're addressed in the New Testament by 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. You know this verse. It says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Well, you tell me from reading that verse, where does that person go when they die? If they're worse than an infidel... King James Version, if they're worse than an unbeliever, and we know unbelievers go to hell, 
then where does the person who's not willing to work for his relatives, they're not willing to provide for their own, especially your family? Now, again, it doesn't say you have to provide a palace for them, the nicest house and the nicest car and the nicest clothes and the nicest food. It just says you've got to provide something for them. The, the idea in the Bible is your basic needs being met, food and shelter and, and, and those kind of things can be met, then you're fulfilling your calling to provide for your family. But if you're not providing for your family and if you're not willing to lend a helping hand to your relatives and you're not helping the members of your own household, then this verse says you've denied the faith then you are denying the faith, which is the same thing as denying Christ. This means that you cannot be a Christian and be one who consistently does not even attempt to provide for yourself or your family. You cannot claim Christ and not attempt to feed your family. And so where do you think, again, that person is going? Well, I think the the, you connect the dots there, that person, if they die in that condition with that kind of unrepentant sin in their life, is going to be going to hell. So we've seen now seven characteristics of slothfulness, seven consequences of slothfulness, and now let's look at our third heading. Let's cheer you up a little bit. You guys are looking kind of sad out there with that, those last two, I think, did you in. But uh, we see number three here, seven cures for slothfulness. There's hope for you. This is something you struggle with, something that you're kind of prone to. Then I want to help you put sloth to death. And so turn with me, if you will, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 15, or verse 16. And this is the, the most common New Testament text we would go to that kind of helps put all this in perspective for us under a new covenant type of teaching. The apostle Paul here writing these letters to the Thessalonians and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 6 we're going to read here uh, some, some New Testament truth on all of this. Here's, here's what we read. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 starting in verse 6. Now we command you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in a accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we are not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Well, we don't have 
time to cover this passage exhaustively this morning, but let me just at least outline it for you, and I want to give you six things from this passage and a seventh from a different passage that all address the idea of these seven cures, which are really incentives of how you should live based on this passage. I took the first five pretty much directly from a New Testament commentary, and the last two I've uh, phrased them in my own words. But here's what we see here. The first thing is this, and again, incentives or cures for the sin of slothfulness. The first one says, think about the pain of being disfellowshipped. Think about the pain of being disfellowshipped. Again, look at 2 Thes. Chapter 3, verse 6, now we command you, brothers, that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not accord with her tradition that you receive from us. What is this? This is a warning against idleness that you would keep away from such a person. One who's walking in idleness, the New American Standard here says, one who's leading an unruly life. To be idle or to be unruly here means to be out of rank, to be out of line, or to be out of order. And if you knew that your slothfulness was going to lead to your disfellowship, then maybe this would be an incentive that would help you get back on track with your work ethic. It's really a matter of the heart. And we're not saying just do more, work harder externally. We're saying that in your heart of hearts, see this as a spiritual issue. And see this as an issue that leads to church discipline. See this as an issue that those who continue in ongoing, unrepentant sin of any type, in this passage, slothfulness, then they are not in a good standing with Christ's church. And so out of your love for Christ and your love for the body, I'm encouraging you this morning to look at the example of the Apostle Paul and maybe the example of those around you and let them help pull you up into a place in your life where you can be a hard worker for the Lord Jesus Christ and enjoy the fellowship of what that feels like with a body who's walking in step with being obedient to God's word. A second cure that we can see in this passage, again, look to the godly example of others, the godly example of others, verses seven through nine, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. And so Paul is saying when he was there along with the other church leaders in Thessalonica, they weren't idle. And he's like, hey, you can imitate us because when we were with you, verse eight, we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we don't have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Paul and those with him never ate bread without paying for it, not because they had to, but because they wanted to set a good example. False teachers and false apostles often demanded payment or support and were oftentimes not hard workers. And so while Paul was in Thessalonica, he chose to work his profession as a leather worker or a tent worker so that he could provide for his own needs while he served the church there. And so we understand that 
while this isn't necessarily the template that all pastors should be bivocational, though I have no problem with that, that many times we are able to provide full fare for our pastor and our elders on paid staff. And at our church, we have some pastors who, who are, are elders, pastor elders. You understand it's the same office in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the New Testament who do work a job and still serve faithfully, and some who don't because of the passage that talks about not harnessing you know, the, the person who works hard at preaching and teaching, not muzzling the ox. And so in our church, we have it set up that way just simply by choice or preference. But the idea is, is that we love it when people work hard. That's a godly example. When somebody works heartily for the Lord, uh, then, they're, then they're doing their duty as a Christian. A third cure for a slothful person is that you need to work for your survival. You need to work for your survival. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Well, that pretty much summarizes it up pretty well right there, this well-known principle. If you don't work, you don't eat. The point is simple. If people get hungry enough, they will work for food. And you can't just feed them all the time or they'll never learn to work. You don't want to enable laziness. You don't want to encourage idleness. You don't want to reward the sluggard. You want to encourage them to work. And so it's really simple. If you don't work, you don't eat. Maybe in your house, it could be something as simple as, hey, if you don't clean your room, lunch isn't being served yet. You know, it's like, I'm not saying you have to do that all the time, but maybe from time to time, it's a good reminder that when someone is hungry, then they need to do the work that that is expected of them in order to even eat. We're not going to keep giving handouts day after day after day to a lazy person who's not willing to pull their own weight. Proverbs 16, 26 says, a worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. And so the idea is we get hungry. It reminds us that we need to eat. In order to eat, you got to work to have food. And so your own appetite is urging you to work hard because without that type of work, then you'll never have anything to eat. And so this at times is a last resort of training someone to be diligent as opposed to being slothful. A fourth cure would be this. Don't be a busybody, but live in harmony. Don't be a busybody, but live in harmony, verses 11 through 13. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. So not only are there some in the church of Thessalonica who are not working, but they are stirring up disunity and they're becoming busy bodies. Guess what they're doing with all that time that they're not working? They're being lazy. And when they're being lazy, they're prone to gossip and to talk and to meddle in the affairs of others. And they're so focused on everything except the work that they need to be doing. They had time to meddle in the affairs of others, but they didn't have enough time to do the work that was needed to provide food for themselves. And so Paul gives a very strong exhortation, and he says, look, you need to do your work quietly. Stop complaining, stop bickering, do your work quietly, earn your own living. And it's almost as if he tells the rest of the church, hey, don't grow weary with these people. Don't grow weary in doing good even. Just be faithful, and God will provide all of your needs in Christ Jesus. And so we need to be a church that works hard. We need to be a church that's not growing weary, but we're continuing to do the work that God has called us to do. 
And the fifth cure is this, if you don't work, you will be shamed. You will be shamed. Verse 14, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Now we've already discussed earlier in Proverbs, the consequence is shame, but hopefully here we see that it can serve as an incentive to help cure the the sluggard. I mean, sometimes I think we think shame is always bad, but it's certainly not bad in this context, as it says that person needs to be ashamed. They're not working, and if they're not doing what God's called them to do, then they need to be ashamed so that they will be incentivized and hopefully more motivated to work. And if they're not, the Bible's telling us, don't associate with that person. Let that person be put to shame. You are to take note and have nothing to do with them. And this is part of church discipline. This is, this is what we would do that would best serve this situation. This is what the Bible says we're to do in a, in a case like this. This is not done in a mean-spirited way to shame and mock somebody in a way that is being ugly, but rather it's appropriate discipline for the individual who's stuck in sin and they need to get out of it. And sometimes it's brought to this measure of the idea of being disfellowshipped or being shamed. This is really an example, your sixth cure, of true love, what we call tough love. And true love or tough love comes as a warning. It comes as a warning, verse 15, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And so there is the idea, it's possible that maybe this person is a believer and they're just struggling, so you want to help them out, give them extra grace. You don't want to completely disown them altogether. That would be a decision for the elder team possibly to make about an individual in any given church, whether it's a situation that we're going to just keep warning them or we're going to totally put them out. But the idea is is that we're doing this for their good, just like church discipline has a goal. And the goal of church discipline is church restoration, that they would see their son confess their sin, be made right with Christ, and be made right with Christ's church. It's the same goal here as that somebody would be warned as a brother. And all this being done is an example of showing true love. You don't ignore him, you admonish him. You don't enable him, you correct him. You don't allow him to continue, you warn him of the coming danger, which means that you are a true friend and a true brother. And you're doing all of this so that he can change and contribute to the Lord's work and find his joy in serving and working heartily for the Lord. One final cure, number seven, G in your outline, being a faithful worker is adorning the doctrine of God. If you want, look at Titus 2, 9 and 10, being a faithful worker is adorning the work of God. That word adorning is being clothed putting on, right? Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, that means stealing, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You know what those verses are saying? If you want to show a good work ethic, the reason that you're doing it ultimately ought to be that you can adorn the doctrine of God, 
that people would see the gospel through your hard work ethic. And part of being a faithful Christian is being a faithful and a hard worker. And part of being a faithful believer is one who's not wasting time or pilfering from your company, stealing time from the company, but rather you're showing all good faith. After the Iron Curtain fell, in the USSR back in the early 90s, there was a little bit more of an awareness of what had been going on in that country for some 70 years. And under their regime of communism, there was extreme poverty. There was widespread hunger. Maybe you remember seeing on TV people standing in lines just to buy bread during some of those years. There was the the idea of just hideous conditions and very, very low living standards. And the question could be asked, why had things gotten so bad? And the answer partly is because there was no incentive to work. No matter how hard you worked, you received the same pay. You were given the same housing. You were allotted your share, whether you worked really hard or not. One observation could not be overlooked. It was reported that the Christians that were in the country, I'm talking now about true Christians that were behind the Iron Curtain, were noted as hard workers. The Christians were known for not complaining and doing their work heartedly. It was such a difference between the work ethic of a Christian in the work ethic of a non-believer, that the government even pointed to Christians as examples of what they were looking for in the workforce. On a totally different note, I've talked to Christian employers here in the States where they have told me at times, I wouldn't even hire a Christian if given the choice, because if I'm a Christian and I hire a Christian, that Christian always tries to mooch off of my Christian graces and not work as hard as the other employee who knows it's a dog-eat-dog world out there, and that if you don't work, then you could get fired. And I just think, well, what, what a shame that would be, that a Christian employer would be like, you know what, sometimes I'd rather not hire the Christian, because my experience has been they don't work hard. Brothers and sisters, that ought not be so. Right? As Christians, you ought to be the hardest workers. As Christians, you ought to be the best students. As Christians, you ought to have the neatest, cleanest rooms in your house, right? I mean, the idea as a Christian, you ought to do everything you do heartily for the Lord, no matter how you were raised, no matter what your upbringing was, no matter what you get paid, no matter how important you think your job is, it's important to the Lord. And so this morning, my prayer for each one of us is that we will put sloth to death by being diligent workers, first for the Lord, second for your boss, and third for your family, May you see work as more than work, but as a ministry of being a witness and an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you'll appreciate that quote there on the back of your outline, those study questions by Thomas Watson. He said this about slothfulness. He's a well-known Puritan. He wrote, some boast of their high calling, but they lie idly at anchor. Religion does not seal warrants to idleness. Christians must not be slothful. Idleness is the devil's bath. A slothful person becomes a prey to every temptation. Grace, while it cures the heart, does not make the hand lame. He 
who is called of God as he works for heaven, so he works in his trait. So this morning, if you're struggling with slothfulness or committing the sin of being a sluggard or being lazy, maybe you could just think about these four take-home points this morning. Confess to God that you've been slothful. Acknowledge it as a sin. What I I want you to hear this morning is slothfulness is sin. Don't just think, well, I'm just a little bit lazy. I'll just kind of put it off. No, no, no. Just say, you know what? That's a sin. It's a sin for me to be that way, at least if that characterizes and dominates my life. And so confess it before the Lord today. Repent and purpose that with God's help, you're going to have a change of mind and a change of heart and a change of conduct. What a great time of year to be like, you know what? In 2019, I'm going to be more faithful in all of my efforts for the Lord. And so maybe you just need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to enable you to put slothfulness to death. Listen, you have to fight this sin like you would fight any sin. It's a spiritual issue. Therefore, you need spiritual weapons, and you need to pray and beg the Holy Spirit to give you the kind of power you need to put this sin to death. And then last, do your work heartily as unto the Lord. This year, as you face 2019, just realize everything I'm doing, I'm doing it for you, Lord. I'm doing it for the Lord. You're not doing it for your mom when she says, clean your room. Ultimately, right? You're doing it for the Lord because he wants you to love and honor your mom. You're not doing it for your boss or so that the company can make more money. You're doing it as unto the Lord. And when you're serving in church and you're serving in small group or whatever ministry you're involved in, you're doing it as unto the Lord. God has given you so very much. We are a blessed, affluent people in so many ways compared to the rest of the world, right? Are you doing your work heartily as for the Lord? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for some of these reminders today as we've gotten a wide uh, breadth of, of information from the Proverbs and from Second Thessalonians. And God, we just pray that as we consider this Bible study that we've done this morning on the seriousness of the sin of slothfulness or being a sluggard or being lazy, I pray, God, that we would see the seriousness of not falling prey to that kind of temptation and to that kind of laziness that just kind of draws us and lulls us in to idleness and to sin. And so, God, we just want to confess it today as a church that we're all prone to be that way from time to time. And certainly there's a difference between that and taking a week's vacation. But, Lord, we want to be faithful workers. We want to be those who every moment of every day put you first. And putting you first, Lord, means that we're going to be faithful ambassadors, faithful workers for the Lord Jesus Christ at work and at home. Help us to be faithful. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.